Welcome to Voices of Indianapolis, where we explore the narratives of innovators, collaborators, and communicators shaping our city. I'm Jeff Edge, your host on this journey. Join us as we uncover their strengths, glean insights into their views of Indianapolis, and unravel the qualities that make them exemplary role models. Through candid conversations, we aim to illuminate their impactful projects, collaborations, and communication efforts that are propelling our community forward. Together, we'll celebrate these influencers, fostering inspiration and dialogue to forge a stronger, more united Indianapolis. Thank you for tuning in. I am sitting here with Kyle Hickman. Kyle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be with you all today. Uh, my name's Kyle. I am originally a Michigander, born and raised, but I've lived in Indianapolis where, now for 11, 12 years. I grew up uh, southeast side, about 45 minutes north northwest of Detroit. We, yeah, a lot like of White Lake, Holly. We go back and forth. A lot of Indiana people I know went to Michigan. A lot of oh, Michigan yeah. people I know go oh, yeah. down to Indiana. I play hockey here in the area, and there's so many f- did, like Detroit, Michigan transplants that mm. all live in the area. It's pretty heavy. Where do you play hockey at? Uh, Carmel, Westfield, uh, and Fishers. Okay. Depends on the week, right essentially. On. Uh, so. can, you, can you tell me about your role at Rebuilding Together? Yeah, so I, I work for an association management company that serves a bunch of clients. And one of the clients we work with is Rebuilding Together Indianapolis. So I'm the executive director. I've been in that role since September of 2022. Our mission. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, our mission as, as an organization is to help people age in their home. Um, yeah. we're all, we're focused on safe and healthy homes. Um, so the goal is we pull in dollars from sponsors, sponsors, grants, and everything we do is goes back into doing critical repairs for people's homes. And so as long as they own their home, they have homeowners insurance and they meet our income expectation, then they can qualify for the, What's for the, the income program expectation. So it's basically a, no more than like 2000 a month. So it's mostly folks that are on fixed income, social security income. I'd okay. say the average age of the homeowner we work with. We're in the near Northwest uh, community right now is probably 60, 60 to 70 years old. So I'm it's older s- demographic. Start asking a lot of questions because I fire them currently buying my first home right now. And I just had <laughs> first first time home buyer. There you <laughs> so go. I was Congrats. looking at the program and I saw I just did the inspection yesterday. So, oh, baby, you're right, said, in the, yeah. right in the throes of it. Yeah. So I said, uh. Kyle's coming in. Should I start asking about a bunch of questions <laughs> that you could do on the house? And I don't know. If the, so the fact that you gave me those specifications, I need to go look at some things again. Um, okay. So I have 10 questions I developed for any Indianapolis person oh, baby. just to get to know you and your take on this city. Let's uh, go. This is like a love letter to Indianapolis, I guess. I'll so, do my best. Okay. Not, uh, a, not a native Indianapolis person, but I've been here for you don't more have than to a be. decade. So I, I feel like I'll do okay. That That's already question one was how long have you lived in Indy? So you already <laughs> answered that one. Little do people know. I've already looked at your screen. You don't even know. Did you, so, did you live anywhere else in Indiana? Did I catch that part? No, I'm Indianapolis, Carmel. I lived up in Carmel for a couple of years, but mostly I've lived in the Broad Ripple. Or e- I live on the east side right now. Do you say so. southeast Michigan? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the uh, the region of Indiana, the northwest Indiana, like Hammond and all that outside Chicago area, Chicago? Oh, area? I mean, I, I grew up on the east side of in, of Michigan, yeah, but the southwest the or south northwest of Detroit. So I, I'm not... When you grew up in Michigan, Gary. we we didn't like cross over to the West Side very often. We should have now that with Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo is so cool. Uh, everybody just converged up north in northern Michigan. That's fair. I just so. I always like to find uh, 
I have a kinship with people in Northwest Indiana, oh, really? that whole area. Yeah, we're our own breed up there. <laughs> Outside Chicago, Chicago Bears. No, nah, I can't claim that, that one, man. I got nothing there. I'm a Lions fan, so go Lions, baby. Man, Lions play the season. Bears on Sunday. so Yeah, you know. You, you supposed to be cold and snowy. I hope you win so we can just keep moving up in the draft lottery. That, we'll, so. we'll be happy to do that for you. <laughs> um, question two, what's your favorite spot downtown? Favorite spot downtown? Right Spend now. Spend there? Not not as much as I probably, but I'm in my I'm getting older in my mid thirties, and so like going out and doing things, I, I just I have less and less motivation to do it. But I like the the garage down there, so yeah. like I like if I need to pop in and I'm not sure what I want to eat, I'll just pop over there and find because there's so many options, and I can dabble here, dabble mm. there. So I like having the options there. I just celebrated my 36th birthday a couple oh, weeks congratulations. ago. Thank you, and it was at you the garage. It. There, there you go, you know, the garage food hall. Pins and then across the street. The living room theaters are cool. I'm a Regal unlimited person, so I I tend to go to Regal theaters. But Is the living room what I think it is, where you just go in and it looks like a living room? Is there sofas and stuff and it's private? Like, oh, yeah. me and my ten buddies are going to rent this little living room. No, it's got some vibes. I mean, it's really nice. Uh, but, you, you know, it's not... It's not, it's not just the cheapest place theater. in the world. No, it's not just... Okay. It has some vibes to it, but it's not like that much on theme of what you're thinking okay that's what i picture when i go in yeah. there and i'm just scared i guess if you want really nice seats the living room is a great spot because it's a brand new theater it's only a couple years old so if you're looking for comfy nice relaxing okay. lounge chairs it's pretty good i can sounds good uh question three what's your favorite neighborhood Whew. Uh, buying a house i'm getting to know the neighborhoods pretty <laughs> well i mean i'm just really familiar with the the broad ripple area because i've for the most of the time mm. I've been in Indianapolis, I've lived yeah. out there. So I don't know if I have a, like a favorite neighborhood though, because I'm not from here. I like the east side where I live now, but I'm way more familiar with like the Sobro sure. areas. You, you yeah. know the names of the neighborhoods I though. Know, That's important. Ridding Kessler, that whole area. That, uh, yeah, not yeah, everybody. We gotta does. have to be. Uh, four best seasonal activity in Indianapolis. Ooh, seasonal activity. Chris Kindlemark right now is pretty yeah, big. Yeah, that's that's the spicy one. That's I I enjoy cheese. the pumpkin beer release at Beer Brewery. Okay, up there. That's what's a, it called? Uh, beer Beer Brewery B I E R. That's uh, right funny. there at. Um, yeah, that's what I thought it was spelled. That's a weird name for a brewery. He's yeah, a beer brewery. Very German, you know. They live yeah. in that German life, but they do their pumpkin beer release in September every year, and I always look forward to that as a mug club member to go over there. And do you speak a little German? None, zero. Oh, okay, I studied it for seven years. And <laughs> It came back to me just the other day where we were. I was watching a teacher teach Spanish, and all of a sudden, my old German came back to me, and then it it's, left again. It's fun so, how that works, right? Yeah. It just like locked in your subconscious. Now, I studied the really useful uh, languages French. of Hebrew and oh, Latin okay. back in the day. Yeah, so, well, you know, well, languages that important. really very few people speak or use. Uh, you understand? Unless I'm in like a, words, you know. a traditional, you know, Hebrew community, then maybe. But. Um, Question five, where should every tourist go at least once? Ooh, here in town? Oh, you, yeah. you got to go to Yats. That's everybody, yeah. everybody that comes oh, to man. town, I take them to the OG location, <laughs> 54th and College. That's if I'm, if I'm showing you and you're in town, we're going to get some Cajun Creole. We're going to go talk to Joe. Mm. Drunk some, chicken? Uh, drunk chicken's probably like my number four. I'm a, What'd you get first? I'm a, my top three are Chipotle Alexio, chili cheese etouffee yeah. with crawfish, and the mock shoe. And then drunk chicken will be number do four. Do you get extra bread? 
I used to. I my heart wants it. Yeah. But I don't do it anymore because <laughs> it's not good for me. But I That's always fair. do the fixing, so I will do the sour cream and cheese if I'm at the location up they in put Fishers. Sour cream and cheese on it for you. You can do sour cream, cheese, and sour cream, cheese, and onion. And if you go to the other location, some of them will do jalapenos. I just learned something new today. You're welcome, man. The one in Fishers will do jalapenos, and that's nice. Uh, question six. What's a great date and or friend group activity? Hmm, a date activity here locally. I mean, I feel like Indianapolis has better like parks than people give it credit yes. for sometimes. So like Holiday Park's a really good place to just go walk around and enjoy the ruins. And it's a lot bigger than people would give it. You're the second person on this podcast to mention those really? ruins. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's a, Holiday Park's really cool. I think the area has more parks than people allude to there's a lot um, of state parks within mm-hmm. an hour driving distance yeah. too and i've been to most of them so if your dates into active things like that then i think you've got some options here if locally. not if not you're just you know, stay at home and throw on netflix i guess <laughs> i don't know no, um, there's, there's okay. good restaurants you could check out too but. question seven is a rapid fire it's a bunch of different things best foods of the indianapolis area best pizza Oh, I'm a Jets guy. I'm always, but that's not even an Indianapolis thing. Yeah. I'm just a Jets person. Oh. Detroit style pizza. I live that life. Futuro? Have you been to Futuro? I haven't. They have Detroit uh, Do they? deep dish pizza. Yeah, it's pretty oh, good. All right. I'm going to scope out. it. It's not too far from okay, here. I'm going to scope it. Futuro? Uh, Futuro. Yeah. Futuro. Okay. Having some ownership issues recently, though. I, I know well. they, you know, but the pizza was good when I went there. Best okay. burger? Ah, uh, I mean, does does a fast food restaurant count? No. Oh, because Shake Shack's right up there. Oh, right? man. And the Smoke Shack from Shake Shack is you the want, best you, burger you in the, the game. You want to do fast food? You could do fast food. Well, I'd say best fast food present in the area, the Smoke Shack with the little tiny okay. cherry pepper crystals is have amazing. Smash Burger in Irvington yet? I have. Yeah. Yep. Smash really? Burger's good. Smash Burger's good. I don't okay. mind Smash Burger. Um, favorite burger in the area, like local burger? I mean... Maybe I'm the bad I'm a bad person to ask because I I mean Bubs is fine sure like Brew Burger is fine like I, yeah, but I like they don't have burgers where I'm like I'm gonna go out on my way like a, I used to live in Texas there's a place in Texas oh. where I went to grad school I'm going out of my way to go get a burger <laughs> from there they like but I don't Man. know if Indianapolis has a burger that I'm like dying to go get have you been a working man's friend I don't think so that's no. cash only that's, that's I love a, a good, good cash burger. only place yeah that's a good that's, sign for me. Interesting. Why is that? I don't know. I just like I like the confidence that comes with cash. Okay, that you know when you're like, I I can't. We live in a world. That's fine. We live in a world where everybody's always doing cards, and they're like, our stuff's good enough. We're just gonna do cash only. I I I respect that. Okay, you won me over. I respect that. (laughs) You know, I'm not. It's a pain in the butt. Don't get me wrong, but I respect it. Sure. Best taco. (sighs) I mean, I'm I'm like the worst person to ask because the the tacos I like are at places like Chewy's. Or nada downtown. So. Oh, okay. Like, but they're not really local joints. Like sure. Chewy's is my that. favorite Tex-Mex place. I yeah, will go there all the time. I've heard of that. Creamy jalapeno. Can you spell it? C H U Y apostrophe S. There's oh, two okay. locations. There's one in Fisher's Noblesville, and there's the one in West Carmel. So like 86th mm. in, in Michigan. Essentially. Have you been to Torchy's Tacos and Fisher's? I have. Uh, and I didn't mind it. Yeah, it's pretty. That good. was. I like that one. Yeah, I probably went there like a year ago. I like that. did a competition to name their newest taco. I didn't win and didn't appreciate like mm. the one they went. You want to talk was, about it? No, no, you don't want to talk about it. You seem sad. <laughs> Torchy uh, life. I had it once. It was solid. Best chicken sandwich or pork tenderloin? I'm not into. See, I'm like the worst person to ask because I'm not a fan of the pork tenderloin culture. Uh, 
uh, what was the first part of the question? Chicken sandwich. Oh, that's why I said chicken sandwich. I mean, I just tried that like um, the new Slim Chickens place that was solid. Chicken sandwich. So again, like it's it's all the Popeyes has a great like. I'm just gonna give chains that I really like the okay. chicken sandwiches. I don't have a local. I'm terrible at going to local places. Gets that's expensive. Fair. Yeah, that's well. You said you you're in your mid 30s, so you stay at home. Yeah. You know? I, uh, best dessert. That's the last one. I don't think I have I'm cake bake shop, I guess. Oh, okay. I don't know. Again, I don't go out of my way for dessert. My dessert is usually moose tracks ice cream in my freezer. Ice cream person? Yeah, I'll yeah, ice cream. I like cupcakes. I like ice cream. Anything yeah, I mean I'll, I'll dabble. Somebody one of the kids like last week said that their favorite dessert are cupcakes and I said, That's interesting. With all the other things <laughs> out there, a cupcake really gets overlooked. I mean you get the, the it's like a little mini cake, you know. Yeah. That's what you want. You get the the it frosting. Does everything. Good like red velvet with with a delicious vanilla frosting. Yeah, it's bite cut. size. How yeah, can you go wrong right. with that? Yeah. A muffin. I love a good muffin. You um, know. So the these questions start to get into you know now we're starting to transition about what you do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> eight. What is your favorite Indianapolis experience? Favorite Indianapolis experience. Could be anything. Oh man, I'm broadening my horizons today. Is what I'm doing favorite indianapolis experience i don't know i feel like my favorite thing about indianapolis is is my network of people here yeah i feel like i have i've had a couple knee surgeries that were not fun and i just have this collection of humans a lot of them which aren't from here but just indianapolis as a pocket has a lot of transplants but it's not like a obnoxious loud transplant population like yeah. i think some cities you go to and they're like yeah everybody's from boston or whatever <laughs> and you're like oh you can figure that out imagine we get some cincinnati <clears throat> people here oh i imagine Michigan chicago, people, yeah, you, chicago. You get the, but i've just got like the, the people here i feel like are are pretty down to earth they're very reliable they'll they'll go out of their way to help yeah. you out so i don't know if that's the exact answer you're looking for mm. but not the best drivers no, my mom <laughs> comes down from Michigan and complains every time she's here about the driving yeah, situation. Yeah, just wild. Just yeah, after like seven o'clock, just pack it in. That's oh, why you stay home. Oh, and then trying to travel across the city to get to the office, pain in the butt. Yeah, because there's always just like one person sitting on the side, and it stops traffic for five miles, and you're like, Where people, is, where's the rebuilding together office? Uh, we're on the northwest side, but okay. we do, but we've got a storage unit down downtown. Uh, so, okay. we, but that's kind of our center location. Mm. But I work on the northwest side. Uh, who is making Indianapolis a better place? Tons of organizations. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's a loaded question in sure. a lot of ways. the The hope is that we're all individually doing that. Um, I think folks like yourself, right? Like, I think teachers are making Indianapolis a better place. There's lots of nonprofits. Um, tons of small businesses that are doing great work here locally that are doing a lot of community impact. You know, RTI tries to be just one of those many. I always try to point out that RTI is, it's, it's comparatively like a spokes of a, a bike wheel, right? They were just one of the many spokes that kind of make this thing work and operate. So, Is there a specific domain that you feel like we're making a lot of improvements on, whether it be pets and animals or building construction or... You know, um, food, shelter, hmm. health care, transportation, right, with the red line. Well, there's definitely a lot of inf- investment in the transportation side yeah. uh, going on. I, I don't I haven't seen the data to see how, hmm. like, what the usage is of those particular pieces. But I look at 
the infrastructure around accessibility seems to be a priority of mm. the city. Uh, but I also, I think if I just like threw out other ideas, it would be ill-informed because I'm not sure. terribly close to that. Um, I uh, keep seeing, I keep meeting a lot of people since I started doing this podcast from uh, Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I keep hearing a lot of people. It's like, it's like of, cultural trail. Yeah, co stuff a lot like of that. good yeah. people in the community are like, oh, I do Keep Indianapolis Beautiful. And I've been in talks with mm -hmm. those people to uh, adopt the area around here for our students mm -hmm. uh, to take care of. Because it's like, man, everybody needs to clean up. Oh, yeah. I'd like to see us push further into uh, recycling. I heard Indianapolis is the biggest city in the country without a feasible recycling yeah I, I wouldn't put recycling as a strength of the area who do i see about that i i don't know i had recycling going to my house i'm not gonna throw the company under the bus oh no but i had when i moved into my house back in april recycling and it, it never came on, they never picked up things once on time so i eventually had to cancel it you want to run for mayor kyle no, I don't. That's if, hard. If pass. you ran for mayor, run on recycling. <laughs> well, if you want to get into the real crux of it, that what we do individually with recycling doesn't make a huge dent. It's what yeah. happens on the industrial side right? that really matters the most. What are companies and organizations with massive buildings and warehouses doing on the recycling That's end? That's a good point. It makes us feel good to yeah. do our own <laughs> recycling, like saving that plastic water bottle, but... Unless those companies and organizations are doing the work, it, we're just kind of a small, we're really yeah. tiny, small fish. Now, that's not to say you build good habits early on, especially with young people on conservation, doing those things, I think is important. Mm. So, Last question. What is an opportunity your work has provided you in Indianapolis that you might not have done? Oh, I would say I get a really cool opportunity with the, so we work with one community at a time, a set of neighborhoods, and that's the near Northwest. Um, so... I work directly with the Flanner House, who is essentially the de facto CDC for that area. That the area doesn't have a true community development corporation. CDC? Yeah, community development corporation. Okay. So, an entity that manages, you know, community organizing and community building across a, a particular region in the city. So there are CDCs. Is that who I should be talking to next? Just uh, possibly more about CDCs. A pot, I would. I mean, they're doing a lot of aging work. They're like, I know like Flanner House does a lot in um, trying to make homes more affordable. They're trying to convert renters and homeowners. They're doing a lot. Yeah. They work with IEPY and do a lot in the health space because that particular area has a lot of challenges with um, diabetes and mm -hmm. diabetes rates. And so um, the cool opportunity I've gotten is working with Flanner House and the community builder, Ron Rice, uh, and the rest of their team, Brandon Cosby and everybody else is I go to monthly housing meetings at Flanner House. And so you just get a cool opportunity to like hear what's going on locally, whether that's issues that residents are having with, you know, locals, w whether it's uh, trash that's being dumped, you know, in people's um, alleys or crime issues that people are dealing with, whatever it happens to be. Um, I've just met some really unique, interesting people that are trying to address a lot of this, the city's challenges in yeah. create, creative and collaborative ways, which is really cool. So you that just, that's you kind of get stuck in, the, you get to be thrown into the mud there, but yeah. that mud is pretty fun when you're trying to figure out how all these different organizations and people yeah. and influencers are trying to make make an impact. With all of those those big ideas, where do you find that your expertise fit comes into play? What are you What are you good at? What are you? Because you also named a team of people, right? Oh, yeah. I imagine 
you know, when you come in, you have a specific set of skills that you add to the team. What would you say yeah. those are and how, do, how have you developed them? Are we talk about me personally or just yeah. the organization and its impact? And that, that, well, I mean, we could go back to that. How did your skill set bring you to rebuilding together? Oh, well, I've always done community impact in development work. I used to lead a lot of service immersion trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I work, spend most of my career in higher education and nonprofits. And so I've always been a champion of this idea of understanding poverty. What are, what's the, what are the underpinnings of why poverty exists? What's that multifaceted approach you need to take to address poverty? You're not going to fix poverty with just one thing. You, you could add a bunch of funding in, it's still not going to fix it. You could add in new housing, it's not going to fix it, right? You can add in more food banks, and yeah. it's still not going to fix the problem, right? It's a complex web of organizations, financing, and leadership on the political side too that have so I've always been really fascinated by that world and I've spent time working in that world so So civics and social studies and all mm -hmm. that you know yeah Yeah. I was a social science person through my undergrad and master's so sociology psychology social psychology in particular so understanding how people work in groups and Mm -hmm. culture organizational cultures always fascinated me so I you're good you're good at taking apart and deconstructing really complex social problems try to Sounds like you diagnose a problem really well too, where yeah, people love to say, "Well, it's just a crime," you know. Mm-hmm. Like, Man, it's so many issues, like yeah. you just said. Yeah, and you at the end of the day, you could still say what happened is bad, but there's also a side of let me let's work to explain why it happened, right? What are the underpinnings? What are the what are the major reasons why people are feeling desperate to do X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. right? Because without addressing those, then you're just playing whack a mole on the issues when they pop up, but you're never addressing a lot of times the economic challenges that are happening. Like I saw a stat the other day that talked about how we, we know the, you know, you're buying a house. We know the cost of buying a house or renting is skyrocketing and, and the average wage is not rising at the same level. And I think that the data I saw the other day from a national poll was that for for those two things to match, so wage and the cost of housing, uh, wages would have to go up 63% on average wow. to keep up with essentially that that rise of inflation and what yeah. it costs to live. So it affects how people live, whether they live with extended families, what does that mean for kids, what does it mean mm. for relationships. Um, so I'm, I'm always really fascinated by that work. And I kind of stumbled into RTI because I had started with my company, Madison Corporation, and they had just brought on, they were in the process of bringing on RTI as a client, and they were looking to find people that would staff it, and they knew my background, they knew what I had yeah. done, and they were like, we think you would be a really good fit for this, and it's been a, a really good match ever since I stepped into the role. Silly question. One of the things that made me start this podcast really was we look so much at fixing things on a national level Mm -hmm. and I'm starting to realize I don't think anybody at the national level can fix any of these issues. Are the, is there a place you talk about the rising wages? Is there something a president can do or a national team can do? Or is this something we have to solve on a micro level on a, a, a city government level? What, what, what's the big push? It, I, <laughs> or just multi-complex problem that can only be solved at a single Oh, level. yeah. I mean, sure, there are things that can be done at the federal level that can help with that, right? Whether it's regulation or some kind of legislation. But really, the rising cost... I mean, you look at a city like Denver, where 
the the cost of living in Denver is just astro it's skyrocket it's astronomical. And yeah, I was thinking about moving there too. You know, well, and it's a beautiful place. Like yeah. I would, I don't want to dissuade anybody from listening to think about Denver, but just understand what kind of housing market you're going into when you get out there. Or the other data I saw was that um, they looked at uh, in every major market across the country, what is the average amount of your overall like salary goes towards housing. Sure. What city do you think was number one? It was almost 40% of people's like monthly income was going towards housing. Wow. What do you think? You got a guess? You got a guess on which city? Which city? Yeah. S- say that again? Has the highest percentage of people's income goes towards what they pay for rent or their mortgage. Los Angeles? It's not Los Angeles. R- Los Angeles is up there. I lived in Los Angeles. Yes. So uh, it's Miami. Miami is the most expensive oh, city to live in from a housing perspective, according to the data, like straight facts in terms of what it costs. Denver, L.A., those yeah. New York, they're all up there, Portland too. Portland or Seattle's probably Seattle's up, up there, there yeah. Um, so, but making Lo- those changes. Lowest? Lowest? Do, you got a low one? I don't know what the lowest was, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if Indianapolis, Kansas City, Columbus, a lot of these Midwest cities are probably on the lower end of that just because – you know, people, it's landlocks and yeah, people sure. are like, you don't get Boise. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> different major, different, uh, major markets like that. But now I, I, the affecting that, I mean, that's such a loaded question. I wish I had the panacea to, to address it, but it's got to happen on the state level, right? Like states have to look at those markets and how they can regulate it. The challenge, mm. right. Is that you buy a house at X you, you couldn't control the market before you bought the house. You buy the house sure. at a certain point, and naturally speaking, that you always want to be able to make some kind of investment on your money, right? Okay. Whatever you're, whatever, you don't want to lose money. If you sell your house five years from now, you don't want to sell it for 10 grand, 15 grand less than you paid for it. So that's the challenge is that now that people have paid a certain amount of money for their home, so they're paying you know, for real estate, then, then trying to bring that market back down is yeah. that, whatever people invested may not get that back when they sell the home later. And so that becomes a really, but what you see in some places too, that local municipalities with Airbnbs have um, essentially regulated uh, investment companies as buying up homes because they're, it is no longer, it's yeah. in a residential area, but it's no longer a residential home because they turn into a rental property and then they sc- jump, sure. jump up the prices there. And so, what well, once upon a time was our Airbnb was this like affordable, interesting new option to do something different than a hotel. Yeah. Now hotels are more affordable than Airbnbs. And so the market's flipped just in the past, what, five years. I always wonder about uh, all those childhood rules that you had with your family and mm-hmm. some of those would help sometimes. And uh, one of the things I always think about is like, nobody gets a second plate until everybody has their first plate, you know, like when you go to like a cookout and stuff. And I was like, can we just do that for houses? Or yeah. I don't even know if that fixes the problem really. So I, you know. Well, and I, you see, I think there's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this myself right now. You, you have to, essentially, if you wanted to rent your house after you buy, I think you have to be a primary residence for two years before you do it. Cause that, and that's, I know that. that's dissuading people from buying sure. and then immediately just renting it and driving up the costs because they know people are desperate with the market the way it is. Last so. question. Then we'll bring in the kids uh, and they could talk more about what you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done much of that, but it's okay. This <laughs> no. is, it's all the stuff surrounding well, the what kids I do. are going to ask all those. We're questions. doing affordable housing repairs. These and kids so. don't understand all of that stuff with the market and things. They won't understand the repairs of a house. Um, 
all the apartments that are being built on mm-hmm. every single block in oh, Indianapolis, yeah. is that yep. going to be a good thing for what you do or a bad thing? For what we do? For what you do, but also is that, good, is that going to help the market? Is that going to help address one of these issues or is it going to make it worse? Well, I think it's multi-pronged, right? So look, look at Broad Ripple, for example. They've been building some all these new like I'll call high-rise apartments. Sure. High-rise for Indianapolis, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Four, five, six stories. We're not talking 20, 30 stories like you might find in a, a, a New York or a Chicago. Sure. Um, while those are not buying alternatives, right? So it's not like even condos where somebody could buy the condo within a building like that. So it isn't, there's not equity that they're building in purchasing those. But at the same time, because that's such a popular thing, it brings more people to the area. So there's an economic influx with people going to restaurants and bars and things like that locally, right? Using public transportation, whatever it happens to be. So in one regard, I think it is good for the local economy because it's going to bring younger people in who may have some buying power who are willing to go out and about on on a Tuesday night when mm. you know we're in our mid-30s and we're like, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to pass on that. But, They're you know, also so, willing to have roommates. That's true as well, right? We're in our mid-30s. I'm done having I'm, roommates. No, I'm good. The only roommates are my animals. That's uh, that's all I need at this point. Um, but in terms of like how it affects us, not terribly much because at the end of the day, the homeowners we're working with, especially in the communities we're in now. I mean, the average homes are 80 to 100 years old, 80 to 110 years old. So them building apartments nearby aren't necessarily hurting us. What hurt, what more so affects the work we do is, and you see this even in that community, is you've got these developers who come in and are revitalizing the the, the neighborhood by investing in, you know, building new homes, new sure. modern-looking homes, and that obviously pushes up property tax value that pushes up the cost to, to live there. So our challenge then becomes how do we help these folks stay in their homes as long as possible and not get pushed out because of rising yeah, property taxes. Sure. And, and when you talk to community builders here in the area, they will tell you that's one of the hardest things for them to do as part of their job. So like Ron in the near Northwest, he's got everywhere from Golden Hill, which is right next to Marion University, which is essentially like the homes that were built for the Lilly executives in the early 20th century. Okay. And so it's there. It's an extremely nice, extremely wealthy neighborhood. It's a small pocket, but he's also got some really uh, economically disadvantaged neighborhoods that he has to deal with. And so his job is to balance the both sides of listening yeah, and tough. advocating for when you've got folks that have no problems with money in most cases, I'm sure everybody's a little bit different versus folks that are really struggling to get by. Right. So, and you got to be able to meet the needs and understand investment and sure. you, that, that mix of gentrification versus people wanting to get money back on their investments. And it's hard, you know, at the end of the day, like, yeah, if we clean up the house on the corner, if we clean up the, we get rid of that building on the corner, it will make it a more, maybe a nicer place to live, maybe push some nefarious characters out, but it also might drive up the cost of living to be here. And then can I stay, right? Can I, I've been here 45 years. Can I afford to stay? You have a really good grasp on uh, this idea that it's not math, right? Where math is, there's a, there's one right answer and everything else is mm-hmm. wrong with social sciences and civics and helping people and problem solving. Everything you do, there's going to be a consequence. We have to live in gray yeah. when it comes to stuff like that. Anytime you help somebody, somebody else gets hurt. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yep. So that's a, a lot of the work we do, right? Our, we're not doing massive, like, we're not doing, in general, $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 projects, right? Sure. We're doing mostly five to 
2500 to $10,000 projects that allow them to just do basic repairs around their homes, mm. right? So we're not fundamentally changing the value of your home. We're just making sure that you can stay in your home as long as possible, that that plumbing issue isn't pushing you out or that electrical mm. issue doesn't cause a house yeah. fire or you're not falling down. You know, they, they say that the, the biggest, the main reason that people, elderly folks get pushed to nursing homes are falls. Yep, right? sure. Going down to the basement. A lot of these homes being 100 years old, they have their washer-dryer units in the basement. This house I'm right? trying to buy is 100 years old. Yep. <laughs> Everything's in the basement. You're 75, not terribly mobile, trying to get up and down. That's a hazard, right? A health hazard. You go down a couple times, and then it's really hard to, to maintain. Next thing you know, you're not in your home anymore. For homeowners having this issue, what's the best place to get in touch with Rebuilding Together? If they, if they want to make that step and say, yeah, let me reach out and see what they can do for me. Yeah, so a couple ways. You can go to our website, www.rebuildingtogetherindy.org, yep. and that's the best way to just learn about what we do. If you're somebody who might be interested in our services, again, we only we serve basically one set of communities at a time. And so there's a if you go to the Contact Us page on our website, there's a form to fill out. Um, you know, I get a lot of calls and emails from folks all over the state, right, reaching out to say, yeah. hey, can we help? And so there's a lot of need. But the way we're set up right now, we don't, you know, uh, people from Goshen are reaching out or people from Muncie. And I always recommend, like, contact your local United Way, call 211, see what resources and orgs you have locally. Tell me, uh, what's Rebuild Day 2024 and on April 27th? So we do every, it's usually the last Saturday in April. Um, Rebuilding Together is a national organization right. where the local affiliate. I saw, I, there's news organ, There's news articles from Houston. Mm-hmm. And I saw that on your yep. website. Yeah, we're, I think there's like over 130 affiliates. So we're the one here in central Indiana. Um, but basically all the organizations do their big rebuild day at the end of April. So we will do most of our work with homeowners on that day. Um, so we'll work with anywhere between 10 to 15 homes on that day. Um, we'll have house captains, volunteer teams from different sponsors, companies, and organizations coming in, and we'll do a full day of projects. So we'll yeah. do you know, anything from having our electrical teams from the Electrical Training Institute of Indy coming and doing electrical projects. Our Legion team sends in folks to do door hardware and locks. Um, we work with uh, Groundworks to do landscaping. So we're doing as much as we can in one day. And then throughout the year, we d- tend to do about one project per month based on whatever grants we can get in to do it. Kyle, thank you so much for coming in Absolutely. Today. You ready to talk to the kids? Let's do it. Okay. Let's take a moment to thank our amazing sponsor, Paradigm Games, for this episode, your ultimate destination for tabletop gaming excitement, conveniently located at 2479 North Meridian Street, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46208. But wait, that's not all, folks. Paradigm Games is not just your average game store. They are the proud hosts of the Wednesday Lorcana League Nights, where the action starts at 6.30 p.m. For just $10, you'll get a spot on the sheet and a booster pack to jump into the thrilling world of Lorcana. Plus, you'll be battling it out for monthly promos that'll leave you hungry for more. But wait, Paradigm Games has something special for all you Pokemon enthusiasts out there. Join them every Sunday from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. for Pokemon League. And the best part? It's completely free. Gather your best decks, trade cards, and meet fellow trainers in the ultimate showdown. So whether you're a board game fanatic or a Pokemon trainer, Paradigm Games is your go-to destination for gaming, fun, in Indianapolis. Support our sponsor because they support your passion. A little bit of background on me. So I'm, uh, I've lived in Indianapolis now for, I think, 11 years. I'm originally from Michigan, um, born and raised. 
and have traveled. I've been to 48 states, so I've been a little bit all over the place. I've seen seen some things, which is cool. You should travel and see as much as you can uh, if you have the opportunity to do it. And I currently work, so I live on the east side. I live about 10 minutes from here. And I work for an organization called Rebuilding Together Indianapolis. Um, we've been here in Indianapolis since 1999, so almost 25 years. What we do is we help homeowners age in place. So we do, we're very heavily focused on safe and healthy homes. So our, our goal is to um, take folks who own their homes, who have homeowners insurance, who essentially meet our income expectation. Um, I would say on average, our homeowners probably between 60 and 70 years old. Um, they live in community. We work in the near Northwest communities of Indianapolis. And our goal is to just do necessary repairs around their home to allow them to stay as long as they'd like. Um, the city, as some of you probably know, right, is kind of in this weird melting pot of gentrification and um, economic investment. And, and because of that, a lot of homeowners are it's really hard for them to make the necessary repairs around home because especially because a lot of them are on fixed income, right? A lot of them are retired or on social security income, those types of things. And so our organization's goal is to make sure that they can stay there as long as they'd like. Um, and they may not have the skills, the people in their lives to be able to help make those, those adjustments. But obviously we get a lot of requests to, for the work we do across the state. But as of right now, we kind of, fo we move every couple of years, but right now we're in the near Northwest. So that's kind of the, the high level gist of what RTI does. Most of our money comes from sponsorships and grants. So either corporate sponsors or community grants, foundation grants, um, you know, state level grants, things like that. So we do as much work as we can with the money that we get. And we put a lot of skilled contractor folks that know how to do plumbing, electrical, carpentry, HVAC, stuff like that. We put those people in places where they can provide people support so if you've got you know if your furnace isn't working properly our job is to try to get somebody in there who can replace the furnace if you've got um you know your floor you got it's bending or there's issues with your floor our job is to try to put a contractor in there that can do that kind of work uh, how did you get from like point a to point b like fresh out of high school how did you get to where you are now i grew up in michigan i did my college degree in north central pennsylvania um, so in Williamsport, PA, where the home of the Little League World Series is. So I did that for four years. I got my degree in social science, essentially anthropology, sociology. Um, then I moved here for two years. I was a consultant, so I traveled the country for two years, went to a lot of colleges and universities. Um, that's what afforded me to visit so many places because they were like, you're going to be in a car and you're going to travel to all these places. I'm like, cool, sounds great. Weird world. Um, I went to grad school in Texas for two years, got my master's degree. And then I moved to Connecticut for a year. I worked at Quinnipiac University, a college. And then I moved back here. I was here for five years. I worked in nonprofit student affairs work, um, doing communications and member development, so a lot of like professional development stuff. And then I moved to Maryland for a year, and then I moved back here, and I've been back here for the last two years. So I've been a little bit all over the place. Um, I would say what led me from point A to point B was just – right time, right place, right people. And so that's a matter of being open-minded to new experiences. And I think I got lucky sometimes that I was in the right room to be around somebody that had an opportunity available for me. Um, and I was al I'm always very curious. I go out of my way to, to just try to get to know people because 
just the, the relationship alone can lead you to a lot of opportunities, right? Um, if someone likes you and they like your approach and they like what you bring to the table, um, they're going to try to find ways to work with you a lot of times. And so just some of it's luck, but a lot of it is just preparation and making sure you're available and you know who's out there and you're not just like staying in your silo all the time. Like you need your introvert moments, but you also need to make sure you're going out and putting yourself out there. Uh, I've noticed when a lot of people like strive to help others, they usually lack something early on in life. Was there anything early on in your life that um, possibly was like like informed like, my yeah. my philanthropic spirit essentially? Yeah, I grew up pretty poor, so I grew up in a one bedroom trailer for the first twelve years of my life. Um, so my parents slept on a mattress in the living room. My brother and I slept in bunk beds in the one bedroom. So I think that informed my giving spirit quite a bit, right? Um, did not grow up in a very nice environment. And because of that, it's kind of guided me to want to give back as much as I can. Because I've, I've been able to, the, the statistics would say the way I grew up and in the communities I grew up in, that I didn't have a lot of, op I would, like, most people don't leave that space and leave that world, right? I was lucky enough to have some mentors in high school that pushed me, and I've always been a good student. I always gave a lot of craps about doing well in school. So, you know, getting a high GPA and getting involved in things was a, a good vehicle for me to get new experiences and go to school. My, when I went to college in Pennsylvania, it's because I wanted to get as far away from home as I could that my mom would allow me to, right? Um, because I know my mom, I, I freaked her out when I told her I wanted to go to college in Egypt, and she lost her mind, uh, as you can imagine. So, but seven and a half hours was a good distance because I just wanted to like have my own identity and get away from things and, and be in a new space and meet new people and just experience life in a different way. Um, but that's because I just busted my butt when I was in school, despite the fact I grew up in a really not great scenario and situation. This is a great question. Uh, how do you think that feeling of freedom when you got out like really affected you? Like how much do you think it changed you from your perspective? Oh, a lot. I, I was so naive, so naive. Like you think you know things, but it's like anything else. You don't know what you don't know until you get put into a position and you're like, oh crap, I'm learning. So I learned a lot that those four years I was in Pennsylvania because cultural differences, regional differences, you know, how people pronounce words because automatically like, that's stupid. Why do you say it that way? Like they, they water, they call water water out there. And I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? but it just get you know it's dialect like dialect difference and they hear the way you talk and they're like that's stupid and you're like well it's just you learn quickly that life comes in all s different shapes and forms and sizes right and how we, and cultures are so, always so fascinating so um it was those four years were good but challenging because i learned a ton about myself who i am what i care about and i challenged a lot of my preconceptions about my values and what i cared about Right, I got to look at life in a completely different way. So I always recommend for folks like take a step back, question your assumptions, and think differently because somebody will introduce you to a whole new worldview, a whole new paradigm, and you might not jive with it. It may not be your jam, but at least you've been open-minded to a new way of thinking about something, right? And it creates empathy from that. That's what I love about just talking to new people all the time. Any like. You had already mentioned like some, I guess, like tips on how to get to that like um, uh, mental state. We're able to like pick up on a lot more perspectives and understand things a lot better because of it. 
Um, any tips towards um, young people or even older people on like how to get to that point in life where they're able to really pick up on that stuff instead of just having kind of a, I guess, frozen state of mind? Social media doesn't help. So I'll throw that out there. Uh, conversations that happen online aren't real conversations. So like the data would show you that 80 to 90% of communication happens non-verbally, right? How you sit, how you interact, right? What's on your face at any given time. And when you're interacting with people on social media, you're only getting the written or the verbal side of communication. And so much of communication is nonverbal. And so for me, that, that social media is powerful because it connects people, but it makes communication and learning from people really challenging because it's really easy when you can't see the other person to get stuck in your ways and to say, I'm right, you're wrong, right? Um, so that's number one. I think number two, it's on the individual to have an open-minded mindset ultimately, right? It's hard. Like I've got two, two degrees. I've been on the earth for a while. Like I feel like I figured out a lot of stuff of how life works, but I have to humble myself, especially if I come in here and you guys teach me something and I'm like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know all the things and that's okay. It's all part of a journey. So changing someone's heart on being open-minded to things is really hard. I have no like perfect answer to give you on that, but the least you can do is practice that yourself with the people in your life your friends, your family, the people you interact with in your jobs, right? Like take a step back. Like who here is perfect? Who here knows everything? There's always usually one person who raises their hand <laughs> just for the laugh. Yeah, you? All right, well, so uh, what's your name? What's your name? Dominic. Dom so other than Dominic, everybody else is imperfect. Imperfect. You all are going to learn so much. The th it's so funny. You guys, what's the average age in the uh, room? 15. About 14. 15. 15, 16, yeah. you guys 10 years from now are going to look back and go, what was, I thought that at 15, are you kidding me, right? Some things are going to stay steadfast, they're going to stay consistent, but other things you'll be like, I cannot believe my mind at 16 was thinking that way. That's wild. The world changes, you're going to learn new stuff all the time. I do it, he does it, like, we just learn, you just, being open-minded, taking a step back, and when somebody says something, you're like, Excuse me? What was that? I think your first step is not they're wrong. It's, and this goes to social psychology, your first step is really let me seek to understand. The more that you guys can seek to understand in your personal lives, the better off and better equipped you're going to be wherever you go, right? Doesn't mean you have to be on the same page with somebody and what they believe. But as long as you ask that follow-up question of like, help me better understand that or where you're coming from, it's going to help you better understand why people do what they do. Right. You may not like what they do. They might act like a butthole. Right. You might be like, I think that was douche behavior. Right. But when you better understand where they come from, the influences in their life, why they act the way they do, then you're better off to be able to deal with people because you're not going to love every single person you ever meet, especially in your jobs. It's just not how life works. So would you say a huge part of changing is really just willpower and that wants to change and would you say that usually comes from harsh places in life that push you to do that hmm. so it's a double question uh i think openness to new perspectives is huge right so if you're not terribly open to changing your paradigms and what you think about the world it's really hard to 
to make any significant adjustments. So it does start on the individual level. Do you think that is usually brought to attention when something in their life pops up that shows them that their perspective isn't the only perspective? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's some kind of moment normally, right? It's some kind of moment where you had an, oh, crap, I screwed up moment or, oh, crap, uh, you know, I maybe for some of you guys, it's you got put in a position where you had to use a whole new skill set or be around people in a kind of an uncomfortable way. Um, that a lot of times will make you will stop and make you think, oh, crap, maybe I'm looking at this incorrectly, if that makes sense. So those are good questions, though. Good philosophical questions. Come on. How helpful do you think internships are? Very, very. I would say even if it's a week long internship, uh, semester long, a month long, get as many internship experiences as you can get. Ideally get paid once, right? Just in an ideal world, every internship you would have or ever have is paid, but make smart decisions on your, you know, your worth and your time and where it goes. But I would say that one of my biggest challenges is I didn't get enough internships during my college and high school days. Um, you're going to be set up so much better, especially now because you're what, 15, right? You start doing internships for a month at a time, a couple weeks at a time. You're going to meet people. You're going to build your network, right? And that just opens up opportunities. More people you know, the more opportunities you have at the end of the day. And you build new skills and seek exp internships that challenge you to do different things that you're not comfortable with. You might hate it. And you might be like, no, I'm, not, I'm not good at that. But at least now you know. Before, you just never tried it. So you know how you said how like pretty much any duration is okay? What's the best duration from your personal experiences? I think it depends on your life circumstances, right? What what you can do. I mean, the longer you're in a culture or a, a company or organization, the more on the more consistency you're gonna build, the more you'll be able to see the work you do come to fruition. But even a week somewhere to sit in and shadow somebody is gonna give you new perspectives and new experiences. But I don't know if there's a perfect one. I mean I mean, ideal world, you're probably there a couple months so you can see how the business operates or how the organization operates. But there, I don't think there's a perfect answer for what that looks like. Just do it. Even if you just stop by for an afternoon and sat in and watched people in meetings and talked to an executive or talked to somebody who runs an organization, that those are experiences that are valuable, very valuable. Do you think that you need any form of inspiration to start doing internships? Like, how easy is it to just start, just pick something up? It, it, I think it just starts with asking questions, doing the research and asking the questions. So it could be going to him and saying, hey, I want to get more involved in X or I want to learn about X. Who do you know, right? It just starts with that personal inspiration of, um, hey, I'm interested in learning more about soup. Like, I want to, maybe I want to be a chef, right? Hey, do we know of a restaurant nearby who has a shadowing program where I can like watch a sous chef do their thing. Like I don't care about, like I'm not a cook. I'm not, I'm, I am a cook on a necessity. I'm not a great cook, but if you're interested in cooking, you should definitely shadow different sous chefs across the, the city. And I'm, people generally want to share their expertise. So it just comes down to you asking the questions and going out of your way to get on your phone, Google, right? Like internships in Indianapolis, restaurants, right? You can find stuff pretty easily. You just can't wait for the world to bring that to you. You got to kind of go get it sometimes. Do you think internships and volunteering can go hand in hand? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can find one that allows you to do both, I think that's good. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome.
Good questions. Number three, right? Let's go. Uh, how long has it been since you started college? And that's going to go into another question I'm going to ask. When did I start college? Yeah, and how long has it been since then? I started college in 2006. So 17, and yeah, 17 years, yeah, almost 18 my, years. It was, I was at Lycoming from 06 to 2010, and then my master's was 2012 to 2014. So During that time. So I'm old. From... Uh, <laughs> From there to there, what do you wish you could have done differently since that time? Since college, I would have gotten more. I wish I would have gotten a, one or two more internships in college. I did one my junior year, but I wish I would have taken on one or two more. Um, I wish I would have spent more time figuring out exactly what I want to do professionally earlier. I probably figured it out a little too late. I'm happy with my journey and where it's taken me and where I'm at now, but... There, I definitely could have taken better advantage of the resources that were available to me at the time, whether that was the career services office or talking to my professors more and just being smarter about relationship building. Um, what about after college, after you got your master's? Like things there? I wish I would have done differently Yeah. after that? Yeah. Um, it's so hard to like answer that question because life is weird in that you think of it, think of it this way. Every day there's this like Robert Frost diverging of two roads, right? Where like if I had taken option B instead of option A, my life would have been gone in a completely different direction, yeah. right? If I didn't go to this program, I wouldn't have met my girlfriend, right? Or if I wouldn't have done, dr drove to the store that day, I wouldn't have met this person that led me to my job. So like life is weird like in how you, that operates. If you did one thing differently, you might have not been here. You might have not been in the career you are at the moment. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But I don't have a ton of regrets. No, like I don't have a ton of like things I would have done differently in college in terms uh, of how I use my resources for sure. You talked about before uh, you planned on going to Egypt for college. Do you wish you did that, or are you happy <laughs> with where you went? That's like? a good question. Ah, uh, a part of me is always like that would have been really interesting to go do that and get thrust into a completely different culture. But I also don't know if financially I wouldn't have been able to make it work. And I think my mom would have murdered me if that happened. Lovingly, right? <laughs> not not actually murder me. But uh, she would have been very unhappy with me if I had left that far. Exactly. Um, there's always going to be a small part of me that was like, maybe I should have done that. But at the same time, it was more of a interesting pipe dream. I'm, I'm glad I went the route I did because I met some great people. It led me to some phenomenal organizations and set me on my path so i don't have a lot of regrets with that uh have you traveled outside of america ever since that thought going to egypt <laughs> so i've i've been to mexico three times mostly for work um i've been to vancouver i've been to ontario so i've been to canada a few times let's say uh, let's say across the water have you ever i haven't no i'm going to hawaii in january which i'm really excited about but I haven't done a lot of international travel. I want to kind of figure out the continental United States and the next would be to do some, cause I, I'm a, a nerd of culture, right? So I just, I want to travel more internationally to see other things and that would be great. Uh, if you were to, what place would you decide to go to? Uh, Ireland would probably be my first one. I'm very Irish and British historically. And so I've always been fascinated by Ireland, but Australia is a big one. 
Egypt. I want to see the Great Pyramids of Egypt at some point before I die. Uh, for the students here, mm-hmm. because you've been to college, you've gotten a master's, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any words of advice for uh, when high school ends and you finish up and you get your diploma? Uh, what do you suggest students to do? I would say this. Uh, it doesn't have to be a four-year college. It doesn't have to be a two-year college. Trade schools right now need people, right? Especially in Indiana. Like, the trades need young people to step up into those roles. So, college isn't for everybody. Like, tech technical school isn't for everybody. Trade school is not for everybody. But I think for you all, it's, it's looking at... There are a lot of resources in this city, in the state, that will help you take those next steps. And so, it's just being curious and asking a lot of questions. Um, if you're interested in going into the college experience when you, you know, talk to your counselors and make sure you get access to whatever materials are available. Um, Google what scholarships are available. Ask people what scholarships are available. Uh, I didn't pay for my master's degree because I got an, uh, an assistantship that paid for my degree. Right. So you just got to be intelligent about asking the right questions and know the right people um, so you can figure out what resources are there. A lot of times people don't take advantage of them. They don't fill out the actual scholarship application, right? So it might take a couple hours to put the time in, but future you is going to thank you when you don't have loans you have to pay back years later, that kind of thing. Do you, if able, I know you weren't able to because going to Egypt is a bit pricey, but would you suggest at a young age uh, when you're going to college or about to mm-hmm. go to college, uh, would you suggest traveling? Like travel to like travel to different countries. Just like travel, like, oh, like yeah. you planned on doing. If like you, you have the means, you should travel because it's gonna. That's the quickest way to broaden your horizon from a cultural standpoint. When you go into a new country or a new place where they speak a different language, where you have to, the incon- the conveniences you normally have of going to the subway or something and reading, and you can't read anything on there. It's going to challenge you to problem solve, to figure out what do I need to do? Do people speak English well here, right? Like whatever my native language or languages are. Like I know he's he's got a German background. So like you send him to Germany, he might be okay. Some of you are like, I'm screwed. If I go to Germany, no. Uh, most English is the, the most popular language in the world. So English is spoke in most countries, but not everywhere. So I, if you have the means and you can identify opportunities, you absolutely should travel. 100%. Even just other states like new orleans is the is my favorite city in the country it's such a cool place the culture is so interesting the food is phenomenal and the history mixed together it's a melting pot of cultures and that and then you learn about how like they don't bury their dead there everything is like in tombs above ground because they used to the city would flood and dead bodies would be like going through the streets <laughs> like that's the crap like the kind of stuff you you can read about but it's so much better to experience when you go in person uh, thank you. You're welcome. Good questions. What part of high school history classes were the most helpful? Most helpful? I I studied anthropology in college, so any of like the ancient history that we studied, I really enjoyed, and I found kind of led me on that path. So studying ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, um, ancient any basically cultures that are really really old, I found. But I to this day I still think about my civics lessons as it related to like how the u.s government structured and things like that like those are just practical things that are going to help you no matter where you go and where you live in the united states just understanding like 
what's their the minimum age to run for president you know like how long are terms like all that kind of stuff just general civics i think has served me pretty well um, if you could meet your past self or like someone who shared your childhood well not really shared your childhood but like you kind of see yourself in them would you give them the gift of your experiences or your relationships that you've developed along mm. your pathway mm. so let me make sure i better understand the question so young me or a person that was like in my scenario yes okay and would i give them my relationships now or my experiences yes mm. Do you ask this of everybody? Because this is an interesting question. No, this is the first time oh. I've ever all right, asked that question. All right, you just all right. Let's go. Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, what would you do? Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I've had enough of either to do anything. I'm still finding those things. Okay. What do you think is more valuable to you now, right now? Your experiences or your relationships? Right now, probably my relationships. Okay. I would probably say, I'd probably say my relationships too. I've, I've got a lot of great people in my life all over the place, and I'm fortunate to have those folks, right? In tough times, I have a lot of people I can call on to help out. So I would, I think, circling younger me or a version of me with that circle of support and trust, I think it would be really useful. Um, do you think, well, if you could go back in time, would you, how do I ask this question? Do you think it's better, well, kind of, do you wish that you, like, instead of just getting your bachelor's degree and then taking a break for a while, do you wish you got your bachelor's and then immediately went into your master's? I don't. Uh, I know a lot of people have done that, and it works perfectly fine for them. I think I was a better graduate student because I had real life work experience and job experience and traveled. I I was better equipped for that experience. I People thought I was a full-time staff on campus because I was just more mature than the average grad student. So it was the right decision for me. It may not be for everybody. I know for a lot of folks, it's like if you're going in to get a PhD in something, a lot of times it just makes more sense to go straight into your program. But I wouldn't take back what my two years on the road and meeting people. I think I was set up for a lot more success by doing that. And not rushing into a master's. Do you think the work that you do is like, do you think it improves the community? I hope. That's the goal. We at RTI, we're big on treating people with dignity and meeting them where they're at. And the reason our partnership works so well with Flanner House and that community in the near Northwest is because we go in, we don't just say, hey, we're going to do a thing. We sit, I go to monthly housing meetings, I sit in and I listen as to what's the pulse of the community, what's going on, what are the issues people are dealing with. And we adjust our resources, our time, and our energy accordingly. So I've never been a big person of being involved in a nonprofit if it's not going to fix some of the underlying ills of what's causing the challenges in that community. right? Like We were talking before you all came in about kind of poverty and like, how do you address poverty? And you can't address poverty in just one way. Poverty is a very complex topic and subject that has to be addressed with education, with training, with money, with support, with political influence, right? So I think we do a pretty good job. Could we always maximize our impact? Sure. But at the end of the day, 
like yesterday, I went on a walkthrough with a homeowner. We stopped by. We introduced ourselves. We talked about what we do. We let them know about the funding mechanism and how it operates. And we kind of walk through and say, hey, we can't do everything, but we'll do as much as we can with the funds that we have. Right. So we try to be a partner, meet them where they're at. And, and we, we're very careful not to make it seem like we're some kind of saviors of, of some kind. Our job is just to be a partner for you all in the neighborhood and support as much as we can. Um, I can really ask you this question just because I heard about your, you know, your experience in your childhood. Yeah. Do you feel like, like money and do you ever feel, have you ever felt in your path and your, like your journey and through life that you had to pick, did you have to choose between money and then your dreams and your beliefs? Uh, I have, I would say when I, after my undergraduate, well, like, during my undergraduate college degree days, I thought I wanted to be, to get a PhD in archaeology. So I originally was an archaeology major. I was going to go, you know, dig up old ancient cultures and do all that stuff. But I realized pretty quickly that to do that, I was going to have to go get the PhD. And there wasn't a lot of financial support for that. And so it was going to be expensive to do it. And I was going to have to take on a lot of debt to do it. And I chose not to go that path, right? And that was, and to his question earlier, you know, when you look at like, would you have done things differently? I don't think I would have, right? Because I, I've really enjoyed the work I've been doing and where it took me. But those were the types of decisions I had to make of like, yeah, this seems like my dream, but it's financially for me right now because my family doesn't have a lot of money. Like I had to be smart about what risks I took, right? So I went with, a, I made decisions that were a little less risky, but still aligned with what I wanted to do in some ways. It just took kind of a weird route to get there ultimately. So yeah, that, those are the decisions you always have to make, right? Like, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My parents aren't people that can, you know, pick me up in a pinch financially, right? So I always have to be smart about what I save, what I do, where I spend my time. Um, they love me and appreciate me, but you know, they they're not made of cash. So I have to be smart. Um, this is my last question, and it's kind of a personal question, so you don't really have to answer it if you don't want to. Okay. Um, have you ever done anything that you felt was morally wrong in order to get to this path and do the things that you wanted to do? Ethics are important to me. Um, I don't know if I'm perfect, but I've also, I've been very stubborn about not sacrificing my personal ethics to advance. Um, like you, you can go through life, like kissing a lot of butt and uh you know cozying yourself up to certain individuals and people and groups but that's just not the way i operate and the way i've always operated um has there been opportunities sure i'm sure um but i don't know i just always try to take the the road less traveled i guess as much as i can but i'm not perfect nobody ever is no nor will you ever be but um I think as long as you understand what's important to you and your values and you do your best not to sacrifice those in attainment of whatever goals you have, you have to do that. But at the end of the day, you also have to work with people and in organizations and, you know, you just have to figure out what's right for you. I don't know. It's a really high level answer for that, but I don't know if I have a perfect response for you. Um, Try not to is what I would say. Try not to sacrifice your personal values for your pursuits is what I would say. 
I know I said that was my last question, but that led me to have more questions. So I'll just like have this one question. <laughs> okay. So um, has your company ever kind of turned down any partnerships because they were either kind of more like on the money side, like they were more, you know, interested in making money than helping people? Than helping people. Um, good question. So uh, we have had, we haven't turned anybody down in my year plus that I've worked there that most of the companies we work with or organizations we work with, they provide financial support or in-kind skilled labor support. And it, there's usually an alignment between what they want to provide and what we do. Our bigger challenge is because of the work we do to keep people in their homes in communities that are being gentrified, right? And people are being pushed out. There are also in the city um, companies or individuals who do who are kind of at the epicenter of gentrifying the city, right? And so the conversations we have is even if they have a high profile, right? If people know them and because we work with them, then people would know more people know who we are. Is there an alignment between what they're trying to do to, for the city versus what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to raise income or property rates so high that people can't live in that community any longer, right? Whereas others, they're really just about turning around people's investments financially. Um, and I think we've made, I don't, I don't know exactly what we're going to do long term in terms of partnering with groups or people like that, but we're very careful and we, we're very strategic about that, of not sacrificing what we stand for just for getting on television or that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Thank you. Those are the fun conversations. Yeah. Welcome.